I don't think the overall budgets for creating content are declining. I think if anything, they're either stable or going up. I think the demand for content is as high as it's ever been. Welcome to Photopod. This is episode three. Photopod is my new interview podcast about the business of creating photography in motion as it relates to advertising, magazines, branding, and the fine art world. I hope that my listeners will include creatives who hire photographers and, of course, photographers. Today, I speak with Mark Weiner, a photographer's agent and co-owner of The Gren Group. They work with premier brands and ad agencies, which I'll list momentarily. By the way, I'm excited that this is my first interview with a photographer's agent or rep. On today's episode, we'll answer these questions. What do photography agents do for their photographers? How does the Gren Group stay in touch with ad agencies? How can you build relationships with clients instead of blindly marketing to them? How should you negotiate licensing and budgets? How important is motion work to ad agencies and reps these days? Is authenticity a trend in lifestyle photography? How should you approach an agent? Mark also wrote a blog post about this, which I put in this episode's show notes. Also, I have a brief remembrance at the very end of this podcast for a photographer who left us too early. Please check out the links in the show notes for this episode, which is in your podcast app or at photopodpod.com. That's two pods. I also include links to the Gren Group's website, I recommend having their site open while you listen to the interview, so you can get a sample of their photography and directing talent during our discussion. Let's begin the show. American Airlines, American Express, Anheuser-Busch, Apple, AT&T, Bank of America, Pepsi, State Farm, Volkswagen... These are just a few of many clients listed on the Gren Group's website. And I am speaking with their chief executive optimist, which is another name for one of their lead agents, and uh, I guess co-founders maybe, we'll get into that. You also list uh, a lot of different agencies that you've worked with. So in addition to a ton of corporations, mm -hmm. you've worked with all the big ad agencies, ones of all different sizes, Arnold, BBDO, Crispin Porter, Goodby Silverstein, JWT, Publicis, TBWA, Wyden and Kennedy, and a mm -hmm. lot of other very large agencies and respectable agencies. Also, the Martin, the Martin agency, which I know that my uh, first interview with Mar Wiley Moran, right. she was there. I don't, did you ever work with her, by the way? We, I think we've done a bunch of estimates for her over the last you know, 20 years. I'm not sure that we've actually um, worked together. Paula would know more than I would, but um, we definitely know her. I've met with her at... Uh, uh, before at portfolio shows, I believe, or even I think Paula met with her down there for a portfolio review. But so we know her well, and she's been great too. We've she's been she was one of the early people who I got to know just by email, um, back and forth. Who was so responsive to the emails, you know, and uh, so got to know her first uh, through that through just casual email, you know, updates, um, and then eventually met in person at least once, maybe twice over the over the course of time. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Wiley's. That's great. I like that this is this 
has already become a meta discussion that that goes back to my first uh, podcast interview with with Wiley. And you were just mentioning that you've had some experience with her from when she was at the Martin agency. I don't know if she, you knew her when she was at Tierney, which is a big Philly mm-hmm. ad agency. Yep. She'd also been at BBDO before that um, and Publicis. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a discussion about whether it's publicis or publicis. <laughs> so, and I think it depends if you're French is, is how, what, what we determined. What I like about Wiley is that she seemed, it, it feels like there are art producers. I'm going to use the word art producer. Some people might know art buyer, um, but these days art producer seems to be the, the name. So mm-hmm. I feel like Wiley is, is amongst a generation of art producers who were particularly good at advocating for photographers where she, you know, would come back to people and say, okay, you know what? She would sometimes, you know, make sure that they were, they were not underbidding to, so that they would stay in the running. For mm-hmm. example, if there's a triple bid on something like, or something like that, that she would, you know, say, well, you know what, this person is charging, um, you know, they might have a, a trailer rental and you don't have a trailer rental. We want your our, our client to, to consider you, but if you don't have that, they might say, well, does this person know what they're talking about? Do you, have you experienced that in your dealings with ad agency art producers that, um, that some are more advocates for you and for your photographers, uh, you know, and some, and some are, are less so. And, and, and is that sort of becoming an older equality in, in the, the old generation of, I'm not saying people are old, but in the, in the, in the previous generation, so to speak, yeah, and I would say 100% there are certain um, art producers, like you said, art buyers back then, who I, I look back now and still think of them as some of the early supporters of us and me as an agent 15 years ago, just, you know, literally knocking on doors and flying around the country and, you know, sending random emails. And there's still a handful today who, who I look at as people who helped encourage us and, you know, gave us positive feedback. Um, and Wiley being one of them and some, you know, art producers in New York and Chicago. Um, so I think there's still, there's still a lot of people who, you know, we started out early on with who uh, were advocates for photographers and reps, not just us, but I'm sure for, you know, lots of reps trying to keep, you know, encouraging people in the industry and, you know, staying positive and optimistic, but, but I don't think that's gone either. I think it's just maybe a changing of the guard. I think there's still younger people who have that same philosophy. So I don't think it's a lost thing. I know our producers are, are busier than they've ever been and probably busier today than they were 15 years ago when I started reaching out to them. So I know they're wearing more hats and they're multitasking more and they have less time probably to you know, to give you that courteous response. But I think there are still quite a few who um, are still advocating for the industry and for the photographers and for the artists. So I don't think it's lost. Um, I think it's still there. Um, But maybe it's just harder to, you know, harder to find them. Do you think that they're busier partially because they're now being tasked with with motion work if they're not doing tv spots because tv people th- th- there's a C- the tv spot producers seem to be still seem to be segmented from mm-hmm. uh uh the, the people who are doing like gif animations for the web or something like that or even youtube videos sometimes it, uh but do you feel that the the art producers are busier because there's more media for them to th- that that actually has to be where, where ads need to be made for more medium. Yeah, I think some of it is that. Some of that is their, 
you know, tasked with creating more content now in different media, like you said, social media and interactive. So there, some of it's that. Um, but I, I think actually more of it has to do with fewer art producers working in, in how, you know, for ad agencies. Um, you know, so I think when the recession, the big recession came in 2008 and there were so many layoffs, I think a lot of companies, agencies and marketing departments, um, instead of, you know, replacing the people who had to get laid off, they just put more on the plates of the people who were still working there, gave them more, uh, more work, more responsibility, um, and then maybe started utilizing freelancers. So um, I know, for example, when I started reaching out to art producers uh, about 15, 16 years ago, even a little longer, I think uh, the databases had 435, I remember that number, 435 art producers were listed in the databases, like, you know, whatever agency access. Mm -hmm. um, I think today it's somewhere around, it's half, maybe even less around, I haven't looked at it lately, but it's somewhere around half. So basically, you know, half of all the art producers uh, are doing the same amount of work, if not more work now. So I really think it has more to do with the human resources side of it as much as it does about the, you know, the fact that they're producing more in more types of content. Um, so I think they're just covering, they're covering for two, two, three people when they used to have, you know, three people doing that job. Well, that certainly jives with what Wiley said. And um, by the way, for listeners uh, who haven't heard the first interview that I did, which is technically episode two, um, go back and listen to Wiley Moran's interview because she uh, is now a freelance art producer plus a producer for photographers. So she works on both sides of the agency equation. Um, but she was a senior art producer for the, some of the largest ad agencies in the country. And, uh, and I think she's, she echoed a lot of what Mark is saying here. Um, let me rewind a little bit because as usual, I start at the middle and then go <laughs> back to the beginning and then I'll probably go back to the beginning and start at the end at some point too. So no, anyway, no problem. I don't know if that made sense. Um, no, it problem. will in the edit. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, Mark, you are the chief executive optimist for the Gren Group, right? Uh, which, which, you and 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 you know, be, before I interviewed you, I, I I asked to make sure that you are, you know, and you consider yourself an agent, mm -hmm. um, and you said yes, and and also your uh, partner at the Gren Group uh, is also chief executive optimist, and we right. have not mentioned her. She is Paula Gren, right. and. I see that you you were an associate partner at Paula Gren Reps um, starting in 2002. So you've been working with her for a long time. Uh, right. It's now 17 years. Mm -hmm. And according to LinkedIn, how do you divide the labor there? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I've been working with her for 20 years, but we've been together okay. uh, uh for 35 years because we're we we've, we're married and running a business ah. together and you know raising a family all on a all on the income from a rep uh artist rep agency so ah. um, if you're not chief executive optimist you're in trouble because you have to you have <laughs> to if you're not optimistic and if you're not looking at things as the glass being half full you're never going to make it in this business especially with all that's going on so 
So actually to be, it's a good question though, to be, you know, a couple uh, married and have a business and working under the same roof. I think um, it's even more important that you have really defined jobs and divisions of labor. And the way we've always worked it out is we've really focused on the things that each of us separately are the best at and the most comfortable at doing and the things we like to do the most too. Um, I mean, really the only way to, to be a chief executive optimist is to have a little bit of fun at what you're doing and, and it can be a grind and it can be, there's a lot of, you know, resistance and a lot of bad news, but you have to, you know, to, to be, to continue to be positive about it. Um, I think you have to be doing the part of the job that you like to do the most. So we, early on, Paula's always, she had her own production company for six or seven years before she became um, a rep. So she knows production mm -hmm. in and out. She can do estimates in her sleep and she probably has nightmares about estimates at this point in her sleep. <laughs> um, but she's amazing at that. And she knows how to, you know, be transparent with clients and, you know, she has great relationships with art producers and um, she's really good at ne the negotiating, the estimating, the bidding process. Whereas I would have no patience for that at all. I would never be able to do the triple, quintuple, octuple bidding that she does for right. one project. I would have thrown my hands in the air a long time ago. I just don't have that, you know, that attention to the micro parts of the business and the details that she's so good at. So, and she, on the other hand, really doesn't like to do the part of the business that I do. She didn't even want to be on this podcast. She <laughs> likes being, she's just like being in the background, you know, sitting, you know, on her computer with her, you know, opening, working on her bids, working with, keeping customers happy all the time. Um, and uh, I love the marketing and the business mm -hmm. side of it, the business development side of it, the, the, all the hoops you have to jump through, the barriers you have to climb over, the brick walls you have to get through in a nice way. You know, you can't just right. barge in and say, you know, when's your next project? Honestly, if someone had told me when I started in this business 16 years ago that it could take up to seven years to really build a viable, self-sustaining artist repping business, I probably wouldn't have, I probably would have found something else, but nobody was there to tell me how long it would take to build relationships in this business. Um, but that's what I love to do. Um, so I'm glad we stuck it out and kept at it, but I love the marketing. I love the promoting. I love the brand building. I love all those challenges. And I love the fact that it changes monthly, yearly, weekly, that you have to be on top of it. You have to anticipate things that are going to happen years down the road um, and and inform yourself of tr not, not just trends because trends come and go, but of what's, you know, what's legitimately changing in, in, a, in the, in the industry in any business. And that keeps right. me going and that keeps me focused. But she, Paula wouldn't have not, would not have the patience at all for that part of the business. So that's why it works great. Um, and the only thing we work together on really is the roster and managing the roster because she's, She's communicating with our 12 or 14 photographers on a daily basis, um, and she has to be comfortable with them character-wise, personality-wise. So that's the only area that there's crossover. Otherwise, it's really distinct. The minute somebody calls and wants numbers, an estimate, it's immediately uh, in Paula's hands. Cool. That, that gives me some good jumping off points, and I'm going to come back to a lot of what you said but I realize that for our audience as well, because uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I'm recording our conversation right now. So mm -hmm. um, 
joking. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right, Did I give you permission? I don't remember <laughs> signing a waiver. Wait a minute. For the audience to say, I remember signing he, that he, waiver. I, I had him record this <laughs> offline. So, yep, he's he's roped in. Okay. All right. So I want to start with something uh, even simpler than, than what I've asked you, which is, so there are a lot of photographers who are not repped. There are a lot of photographers who are repped, but I'd say the majority are not repped. So for the, for those who are not repped, how would you define an agent or an agency and what's the purpose of an agency? Honestly, the partnership between rep and photographer changes just like the business changes too. So for example, 10 or 15 years ago, I, I can remember sitting with a photographer on a kitchen table or a, you know, a floor in the living room going through their images, um, you know, their physical images, their print images, and deciding what layout would be the best to show um, potential clients, um, working with them on editing their website. Um, there was, you know, that was years ago. There was a lot for us anyway. And that's important also for listeners to know that you know, every agent is different and ed- every agent has a different value proposition and they bring different things to the table to photographers. So photographers who are looking for representation and make sure that they know, you know, what that rep um, brings to the table because we're not all we're not all the same. And you know, depending on how long you've been in the business, what kind of clients you have too, that's an important thing to know. Like if you're a still life photographer or a CGI photographer, the grand group wouldn't be a good fit. Somebody else might be. Um, also, depending on what status of your um, career you're in too, it's good to you know have a similar rep with a similar you know um, career trajectory. I think that works better too. So when I'm talking about what a rep does, mm-hmm. it's really what the grand group does because we're unique to just about you know other reps out there. We're singularly focused on lifestyle work. Um, I think the value that we add as a rep is really, a lot of it is really uh, comes down to helping the photographer become and stay relevant and have more exposure. So it's kind of, sometimes it's mostly the association uh, with a rep that can help. I do know that you know, for bigger projects, especially, I know that um, a lot of art buyers prefer to work, you know, with a photographer's agent on, on the bigger jobs. Again, too, that's another clarification is it depends on what kind of work you're trying to get as well when you're trying to match up with the right uh, rep. For us, it's advising, it's coaching, it's stra- helping the photographer strategize uh, in a big picture way what kind of work they're trying to go f- go after, helping them build their brand. So it's not as much as it used to be execution of a business plan where we used to do more of that. You know, we used to do more hands-on introducing photographers to specific art buyers based on the clients they might have. We did a lot of that early on too. So that's changed a little bit for us as well. To be honest, I probably spend 70% of my time trying to keep the Gren Group as a rep agency relevant. Um, it's become so hard these days where there's so much information out there pouring into art buyers and creative directors and art directors or, or, you know, marketing departments in corporate direct clients. It's so hard to stay relevant these days that it's all, it's almost nearly a full-time job to stay relevant as an agent. 
And as we've grown and, and, and gone from, you know, seven or eight photographers to 12 or 14 photographers, I think in general, in the industry, they're, 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 it puts a little more emphasis on the photographer to do a lot of their own marketing and promotion. But we're, we're good at helping, advising, coaching, and telling them what, you know, what works and what doesn't work for them. So for us, that's, that's what we add more than anything. Yeah. And in my experience, because um, I also help photographers, you know, with their portfolios and things like that. And I, mm -hmm. and I, I have a few clients who are repped as well. And to me, the way that I see their agents values and, and they're not any of your photographers, by the way, even though I know a lot of them from when I was at Wonderful Machine. But to me, the value of an agent to a lot of photographers is that they will... <laughs> First of all, we'll, are good for for the negotiating and the estimating, uh, helping to get introductions sometimes, or showing portfolios, or you know the agents already have relationships. Hopefully, you know with some of the larger ad agencies and brands, like mm -hmm. I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you've worked for, with. But not only that, and and you've you've said this basically, agents will help guide the photographer on the type of work that they're doing. If they want them to shoot more of certain types of things, even for their portfolio, the mm -hmm. agents will encourage that. Um, and it's usually in my experience, it's because the agent sees that the photographer has potential in a certain area, but maybe isn't showing it enough because these days there are so many photographers out there. If an ad agency doesn't see the image right away, they might just look for the next photographer who has that picture of a snail, you know, on a rock in Colorado. It can't be a snail on a rock in, you know, Maine. It has to be a snail mm -hmm. on a rock in Colorado, or else I'm not going to consider that photographer. And I'm, I'm exaggerating there a little, right. a no, little bit, but, I, but I've heard that a lot oh, about, yeah. you know, about ad agencies wanting really specific uh, proof that a photographer has done something before. Some, yeah, sometimes we joke about the frog versus the toad. Like I, I need a photographer that can shoot toads. But our photographers only shot frogs before, so he's out of the running. Or, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's the same exact thing. This so yeah, they can be so um, literal sometimes. Um, but no, you hit on it. The other part. So besides the legit, adding legitimacy and you know providing uh, you know strategy and coaching and advising on on marketing um, is Paul is part of the business that estimating and the negotiating, which can go on and on and on is that's a, that's a huge part of what we do as well as a, a rep agency is, um, you know, trying to figure out how to close the loop for those, uh, for those calls that come in and those estimates that happen and, you know, knowing, you know, how to, you know, get a fair value for in, within a given budget. Um, and, and Paul is so creative about, putting her best chance of getting a, a job for a photographer based on the the bidding and the negotiating that goes on there. So that's at least half of, I think, what we are best at and what we, we provide, you know, for the photographer is that business management is part of the business. Um, but I, I will say there's a, there, it's important too, to know that if, when you do find a rep and this has changed a lot as well, and I've even heard it from other podcasts that I've listened to, you know, in the, in the early days, you could somehow, you could sometimes judge the success or failure of a relationship between a photographer and an agent in a shorter amount of time. Like it, it could sometimes, I used to tell people, you know, give us a year 
and you know nine months to a year, and we'll see if we've generated any work together. You know, based on the grand group's efforts or our connections or our contacts or experiences. Then it changed, you know, maybe four or five years ago. I said, you know what? It's now it's two years. Like you won't even be able to know whether it's been, you'll, you'll know that we will work together well. You know that we like each other, that we're compatible, you know, in, in other ways, um, on the, you know, bidding on your existing clients that you've been working with if you're a new photographer to us you'll know if you know you'll know if that's a good experience but you it, it can I, I tell people now it might be two to five years when we take on a new photographer before you'll be able to say yep this job came in as a direct result of the, my reps relationships or you know the work that they did or you know the plan that they told me to do or the website changes that they told me to make. So so that's kind of an important thing too. You'll never be able to measure it in a short amount of time these days because it's so it, it just takes so long. And it's and, and that's after giving it a, all of your attention as a partnership. That's the photographer working extra hard. It's the rep working extra hard. So that's a something that sometimes can get lost. But we're really good about communicating that as well. We've gotten really good at managing the expectations of any new talent that we decide to take on. And, and, and usually we've known that person for a year or two or three or even longer, sometimes up to five years. We've known hmm. them, maybe met them. I think Jason, one of our new additions is someone we I met at a portfolio review when I was the reviewer and he was the photographer and we stayed in touch for two years and he was thankful at the you know at the input that I gave him at the portfolio review and 4 or 5 years later we ended up working together and we were his first agent and he's a great person and we're glad we did it long story short it's it, it is a long term commitment and um you have to be ready you know have to be ready to look at things and to evaluate things in a long term that's interesting uh and you know part of my Initial question about agents. Well, well, actually, first of all, I should respond just to one point. I think that that is a really difficult proposition. I'm not. I'm not. It sounds reasonable to me because yes. I've I've worked on the pseudo agency side when I was at Wonderful Machine. Mm -hmm. uh, because you know, and at the time we were just talking. We we had photographers, for example, who were trying to figure out Wonderful Machine's value, and we were not yeah. a traditional agency. We were really more like an online source book, but that did a lot of portfolio meetings and things like that. And now it, they do a little bit different things, but they, you know, we were just trying to justify why they should essentially advertise with us for a year. And that mm -hmm. was hard. And that was, you know, I left there almost 10 years ago now. And so a two to five year proposition is somebody really has to be, has to be a long-term thinker uh, to yeah. see that, to see that value with an agent. Right. Right. Though I don't, I mean, all the people that I know who have been with agents or who are with agents, I don't feel like they, I'm guessing that most of them, if you, I feel like most of them stay with, they stay represented. They might move around to different agents and which I'm sure is a sticking point because it's a, mm -hmm. it's a very difficult, I mean, it really, I've always heard it described as a marriage and it's a, you know, it's a partnership and you know, the trust mm -hmm. and everything and the amount of time that you invest is as well, because, you know, yeah. I, I think that's the other side of it is, you know, a lot of photographers just think, Oh, I have good work. Why aren't agent agents just beating down the door to hire me? And yeah. I usually say, well, 
they need to see something they're they're risking they're not paid to do anything un, until you're <laughs> paid and so right. if you don't have any clients and if you don't have any appeal to ad agencies you know tw- yeah. 20% or whatever the arrangement is 20 uh, 20% of nothing is nothing yeah both both sides really have to commit and it's interesting to hear that that's the proje- projection would you say i mean have you ever spoken with other agents to to see if that is a similar thing that they are a similar trend for them too. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting that uh, that you would mention that because I did speak to a, a, an agent recently, uh-huh. and she said something similar. She said, "I used to have this rule with my photographers, and she represented some you know well known, acclaimed, you know, successful photographers." And she said, I used, to, I used to have a rule, you know, no whining was her rule <laughs> in a certain amount of time about where are the jobs, where's my portfolio, who's calling for me. She said, my, my new rule now is no whining for 18 months. Wow. So, and, and that's, you know, I know it sounds a little cynical, whine, the whining part of it, but right. she's basically, that's, it's basically she's saying, and I can't remember her name right now, but- it's um, okay. She said, no, why? Yeah, she said, yeah, exactly. She said, when I sign on a new photographer, basically the contract at the bottom says no whining for 18 months, <laughs> which is, which is, I loved it. I was like, that's, that's awesome. Hilarious. I don't quite, I'm not quite that frank or right. with my photo with the photographers that we're talking about working with. But, um, so that's not far from two years to two years to five years. So, you know, I, sometimes I'll try to honestly, sometimes I'm a little bit, um, not devil's advocate, but, uh, I try to, I try to sometimes lower the bar to the the lowest possible case to just to see if the photographers are still interested and still game and still understand a rep's role today, especially the Gren group's role. Um, but honestly, I tell photographers all the time, it's going to cost you money to get an agent. So, because they actually instinctively think it's the other way around. Like, (laughs) you know, they think it's going to, I'm going to make money to get an agent. No, you're going to lose money. You're going to, it's going to cost you to get an agent. So, and that's for a couple of reasons. Like you said earlier, agents are going to expect the photographers proven their business model and that they're viable and that they're an, an ad agency will hire them for a, a large advertising campaign that they've got experience doing that. Um, otherwise you're, you're competing with, like you said, hundreds and hundreds of other photographers for that one rep opening. Right. Um, so, and I know there's, it's hundreds that for every rep opening, probably for the commercial photographers, not, not all of them are qualified, but anyway, so the point being that, um, You'll have to be, you might not have been, unless you're coming from another agent, but if you're coming from without an agent, you're going to be paying a 25% or whatever the number is commission on your creative fees that you aren't used to paying, that you haven't been paying. Because the the rep with the skin in the game, especially one that's been around for 15 to 20 years, that's invested tens of thousands of hours and you know tens of thousands of dollars in their company and their brand and their identity they're going to expect the photographer to bring something you know of financial value and skin into the game as well and that could be paying commissions on clients that I'm not used to paying that I built I spent 10 years you know working on this client now I'm supposed to give a commission all of a sudden to a rep um so there's that part of the you know the financial equation. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, ultimately we are business managers and and there has to be a business there to manage if it's going to work out in the beginning. It also helps us learn the photographer's business, how they do business and, you know, leverage some of the work that we do together for future clients. So there's that part of it. And then a lot of reps will 
ask the photographer to be spending more maybe than they're used to spending on self-promotion. I mean, not always. Right. Sometimes photographers come to us and they're already spending, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year in marketing. But most of the time, they're like they're not spending what we are going to ask them to spend. So there's that additional outlay of, you know, funds and marketing. Maybe you got to rebuild your website. Maybe you have to hire a a consultant to help you edit your website, which is we don't do anymore. There are so many great freelancers doing that today. So. So there's two to three different reasons why you can justify that statement that it could likely cost you money to get a rep. And I think, honestly, the photographers that go in it with that attitude, like I can do that, I can afford to, I can afford that for a while. I think that's going to lead to the most likely positive outcome. Right. Yeah. And obviously for those who just heard the, uh, the soundbite of you're going to lose money by joining a rep, the point that Mark was making obviously is that ultimately then it will start yeah. turning in your favor and then you'll be, you'll be right. getting more money than, than you had gotten yeah. before. I mean, that's the goal and that's yeah. why would anyone so, yeah, stay with a rep losing, if they weren't, yeah. you know, it's not, yeah, it probably losing money is not the best words, but I, I do say cost you, it'll cost you which I guess is sort of the same way, but it, it could <laughs> very likely cost you to get a rep. I mean, it's it makes sense if you think about it. Absolutely. No, and I think, no, I I, I think you should probably scare off people who, who too aren't. <laughs> exactly. No, really, you, you don't want somebody who's just going to come in half-assed because, you know, no. honestly, okay, and I'm sorry to talk about me, um, but but sometimes I have to because it's I, I can only speak to my experience and, and hopefully to add depth to the discussion. But when I was at Wonderful Machine, I was you know, I was a co-founder. Um, I was, you know, showing portfolios to s some big ad agencies as well and, and magazines. And also I was our marketing director and, yeah. uh, which, so I think you, your responsibilities and mine overlapped somewhat, uh, mm -hmm. at that point. But anyway, what I found is that the, the photographers who updated me with projects, with awards that they'd won with mm -hmm. new work, with personal work, they were the ones who we ended up promoting more because we knew, I mean, you can't know it's, it's the whole purpose of marketing, right? You, you, you can't know that somebody's out there until they actually reach out to you. If you're a photographer, you can't expect that an art producer is going to find you because you're awesome. Because especially mm -hmm. these days, as we're saying they're, well, I think, you know, part of what we weren't saying is that the internet has democratized a lot of this or whatever you want to call it. There's just so many more photographers who, now know how to reach people. And there's mailing list companies like agency access, for example, uh, you know, who, uh, I know reps use, we used them at wonderful machine at one point and, and, and photographers use, and it lists all the art buyers and creatives at all kinds of companies. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm guessing that that's part of what you were referring to before too, is that the nature of your relationships with a photographer are probably a little different too, because there's so much more information available online for photographers to contact clients directly. It doesn't mean right. that it doesn't mean that they know what to do once they have that information, mm -hmm. but it's, but that's probably changed the ball game a little bit. Yeah. Other than the, the professional estimating and negotiating and bidding that we provide, there's really nothing that's top secret that we're doing that the photographer can't do themselves to build their own base of business and to build their career and prove their prove that they have a viable business that people will hire them and pay them, you know, to do advertising work for them. Like you said, a photographer that, that the same with wonderful machine, but a photographer that comes to us and shows us here's the last three campaigns I did this year, you know, and here's, you know, they're, 
maybe Fortune 1,000 companies or whatever, um, that gets the attention of reps. There's no doubt about it. I mean, beautiful work does, of course. That th- that pulls them in. Um, what kind of clients you've worked on near in the recent past is also a big thing. And then character is a huge thing for hmm. us too. So that's almost almost at this point, character is above and beyond everything else. You know that. You know, appreciation, good, good at collaborating. Um, so it's not all about the billing. It's not all about the, you know, how much business have you done, but that can sometimes be the, that's usually the last thing that comes up. Honestly, like we meet people, we get a feel for how busy they are, how long they've been in business. Um, and honestly, sometimes that's the end of it is like, what, you know, show us the recent work that you've done and clients that you've, you know, what clients do you have that you're bringing to the partnership? Like I said, it, the photographer has to bring something to the partnership. They just can't come in with beautiful pictures that for at least for us, that's, um, there maybe was a time where that was enough of a draw, um, for us, but we've gotten, you know, after so many years, we've gotten really good at managing the expectations up front. And like you said, scare them, almost scaring people away. <laughs> and then the ones that are still not scared, like I, that's literally what happens. What you're not scared about everything I've said. All right, let's do this. <laughs> but it is, but it is a lot too. It's a lot about character and personality. That's so important because we're interacting on a constant, constant basis. That's, you know, almost the number one thing these days. Um, great, great work and, and good and clients. Yeah, it seems like unless you're a super rock star fine art photographer who becomes a commercial photographer, it's going to be really tough to be an asshole these days. <laughs> you know, yeah, part yeah, of my French. Exactly. But, no, I, 100%. Because that does seem like sort of an old school uh, personality trait for photographers. Yeah. Okay. We, we talked about, you know, the qualities that, you know, that, that you, that are sort of baseline for you, but is there, you know, if there are photographers who are looking to find an agent or let's say they were looking to work with you, uh, what would you recommend to them? Um, the things that work the best are pretty much are not much different than what I'm trying to build with clients that I'm selling to the art producers, you know, the marketing people at, you know, the client direct corporate direct. It's basically it's it's a relationship like anything in this business, it's all about relationships. So that goes from photographer to rep, from rep to, you know, ad agency, from ad agency to their end client. It's really about relationships. Um, like I said, the average amount of time that we've known a photographer that we sign is probably somewhere between a year and a half and two years. Maybe we've worked together, you know, on a freelance basis before. Um, maybe we've met at a show where I was a, a portfolio reviewer or at a, you know, a social, you know, event put on by an industry person. Um, it can happen with emails, I guess, a little bit, um, you know, keeping us informed on what you're doing. Like I said, we, we pay attention when uh, someone's worked with a, a client, worked with a good-sized advertising client. That gets our attention, but it's really about building a relationship and that just takes a while and it can be every quarterly, a quarterly update with uh, emails. I think things that help telling us where you've been, who you've met with too, like you should be meeting with people yourself. You can't really rely on the agent anymore as the exclusive person to introduce your work 
to ad agencies. And it's so hard these days. It's gotten more difficult. As we said earlier, they're so busy. You right. know, they don't, they don't want to take 90 minutes, 60 minutes, even 30 minutes out of their day. You know, that's almost 15% of their work day to meet with a photographer or a rep. So that's become incredibly difficult. But if you, if you're doing it and if agencies are seeing you, and and hiring you that definitely gets our attention but but it's really it's really about relationships and that's just um starts with you know introductions face to face really helps i know it's hard cuz we're in massachusetts and right. photographers who want reps are all over the country and that's hard but we do travel you know we're in new york and chicago quite a bit mailers work too mm-hmm. um direct mailers can help uh get our attention cuz we don't get that many anymore so that's interesting that's that's important yeah we don't get that many especially you know home office it's also hard to find our address it's like Ah. like, i don't think people call the emails all the time what's your address i don't think it's anywhere it's not on our website might be somewhere buried in our linkedin profile i don't know but anyway so we don't get a lot of direct mailers honestly like not like ad agencies where their databases are there for the taking and who I'm told really don't look at that many direct mailers any that much anymore either. But, but that's, you know, that's the best way phone calls. You know, I do talk to a lot of photographers and anybody who's listening to this, who I've spoken to would vouch for that. I, I really have prided myself on trying to respond to just about every photographer that emails or even calls. That's um, great. It's just been a point that I've tried so hard to manage because I look back at all the all the art buyers who let me meet with them, you know, in 2002 and 2003. And back then it was not that hard, but still, I, I look back at the people who encouraged me, like you said earlier, the advocates who, you know, said, keep going, you know, thumbs up, you know, and you got a long way to go, but keep going. Um, <laughs> so I... Really appreciated that a lot from the handful of art buyers who always responded to my emails, who always took a meeting. So I try to give back and at least respond to every inquiry that comes in and share with them a a blog post that I wrote years ago about getting a rep, the do's and don'ts, which – it's probably oh. buried in our po- in our blog somewhere. Oh, oh and, I'm going to you're going to have to send me that cuz I'll, I'll post that if you if you want it yeah, to be public. Yeah, I'll send that to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was maybe 4 or 5 years ago, but I share that too, so I really try as hard as I can to get to let everybody know. I'm not saying I'm giving everybody like, you know, amazing feedback about the work. I'm not spending too much time, right. you know, evaluating the work and saying what direction you should go in and that, but I try to make it a point of at least, you know, curt being courteous about responding. So I hope that doesn't mean I'm going to get a hundred emails and text messages in the next 48 hours, Neil, because open up the floodgates. That might, yeah, that might be hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's good to hear that you, that you're you're responsive. Um, but uh, yeah, you can't, you can't respond to everybody. Um, cause they're not always going to be appropriate. And I think a photographer should just be happy that somebody has, you know, replied to them and, and mm-hmm. either says, you know, you're not a, the right fit right now, but keep in yeah. touch or whatever. And if the photographer is relevant, if it's, you know, work that fits with what we're doing and, you know, then I'll take it to that next level and I will get on a call. Right. And that's another way to start building the relationship. And, you know, definitely two or three of the last photographers that we signed started that exact way. An email, the work was good. They showed us commercial 
projects that they'd been working on, got on the phone, talked to them, you know, a couple times over the course of six months to a year. And then there was happened to be, uh, you know, good timing on their part, you know, that we were decided to expand on the roster or, you know, make some moves. So some of it's timing too, just staying in touch casually at first. And then if the work, but if the work's not relevant, if I'm still, I still will try to get back to people if it's a, you know, a food photographer or, you know, beauty or product, I still try to at least respond, but it it wouldn't take it to that next level of, you know, getting a meeting or a phone call. Right. Okay. So we were talking about sort of how the last, we were talking about how photographers reach you. Right. What's the longest a photographer has been with you? And then conversely, when have you needed to drop a photographer? Good questions. Um, Tiber Nemeth has been with us since our founding in 1996, before I even joined the Gren Group. Um, Before that, I had a promotional products company that was, uh, you know, trying to become web-based when the internet was in its infancy in, you know, 1999-2000. And Paula was running it by herself with just a couple of local um, Massachusetts, Boston photographers. And the first one was Tiber Nemeth, who Paula worked with and knew from working. um, He was, Tiber was assistant for John Hewitt. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in Boston and then went on his own and said, I, you know, I've been assisting for a long time. I'm going on my own. Would you want to be my rep? And at that point, the timing was good where, um, Paula took on Tiber. So that was, he was the first photographer. We still represent him. And, uh, that would have been, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to say that would have been 90, 98. I'm thinking, um, yeah. So, wow. Do you, do you have an idea? Sorry to interrupt, but do you have an idea of of how unusual that is compared with, with other reps? Um, no, I don't think it, I think there's some reps we know. For example, I mentioned, um, John Hewitt. I don't know if you know him or not, but a big, uh, great photographer mm-hmm. does a lot of Nike and Wyden, him, yeah. Nike and Wyden Kennedy. Yeah. Um, he's with his first rep, uh, as well. So I, I think it's definitely not common, but mm-hmm. I know some photographers who are still with their first rep. Um, and I think that's the goal too. Honestly, that's the goal. It takes, like I said, if it takes two to five years to get, to get going, I mean, it didn't take that long back then, but you don't want to be bouncing around very often if that's, you know, if that's how you're going to measure things in that, in those time frames. Right. But, you know, I, I also understand, for example, I've had some clients, um, who will hire me to edit their portfolios and things like that. And, and I'm not equating what I do with what you do, by the way. Um, because I, you know, even mm. though I have some long-standing relationships as well, but mm-hmm. what I find is that sometimes people need another perspective, uh, and then they'll come back to me a couple years later, yeah. either because they didn't like the other perspective or just because, right? You know, sometimes they just needed, yep. un- things to, you know, to freshen things up. True, for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's that, so. Yeah, I mean, and Carl, it was our. Tremblay was our second photographer that we added shortly after Tiber, and we've also been his only rep. Um, so I would say of our photographers, I, you know, I'm not going to go through line by one by one, sure. but I think three or four of them, we're, we've been there 
We've been there since since their beginnings as 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 reps, not the beginning when they were a photographer. A lot of them were shooters for ten years before we agreed to you know become partners. So, um, but I, but I get it. There's I think that's probably less likely these days. You know, it's almost like it's almost like free agency in sports now. You know, it's like they think there seems to be a little more fluidity now with photographers. You know, going to to different agents. Um, to see if the grass is greener, if there's better opportunity or a better fit. So I get it. And most of the time, it's completely amicable when we do split part ways. So uh, Tiber's was our first, um, still together, still a great friend. And nice. the other part of your question about does it ever not work out? Of course, um, it sometimes doesn't work out. Although we've gotten much better at... It's, there were times where we didn't manage expectations very well and that would come, that would be on me. And that's why, you know, I changed from, Hey, it's don't, don't even look at it at the results in a year, look at them in two to five years. That's one way of managing, doing a better job upfront of managing expectations in a realistic way to not being, you know, negative or cynical, just like that's the reality of that you, that you learn after 18 years. And, you know, we have, I think 14 on the roster now, but we've probably represented, over the course of time, 28 or 30 photographers or so. And we've learned mm -hmm. a lot each time we learn something else, whether it works out or doesn't work out. We always chalk it up to a learning experience. And pretty much every photographer has moved on for whatever reason. Um, there's been never been any hard feelings. And, um, and I think the reason why is probably because between the two of us, our expectations were different. You know, a photographer might have thought there was going to be more you know, immediate impacts from what we were doing, or we didn't tell them exactly what our value, what, what we did, you know, what our value was in the day to day. So we've gotten much better really at, at managing that. And we, we, we had one photographer just left us literally like two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Ah. Yeah. And it was totally, you know, not unexpected really. Um, and he's just like, you know what, I'm, I think, financially, I just want to try to make a go of it on my own. And I want to do, I'm going to spend my money uh, on meetings. And, and some of it came down to the commissions too. Like he was like, I could take that money and spend it on traveling and doing face-to-face -face meetings. And it happens. And part of the, it's part of the business cycle. Yeah. And I actually think that, you know, if you compare it with ad agency personnel, you know, who are changing all the time, to, to move on to the next agency in the creative fields. I feel like it's the longevity of, of, of a photographer and agent's relationship might be more of an anomaly in comparison with, you know, your, yeah. your, your, your clients. Yeah, so. absolutely. No, absolutely. So, so yeah, it's really been in the past when it hasn't worked out, they said it was just the you know, expectations weren't managed on both sides and we're much better at that these days. Um, and you got to communicate too. And Paula works directly with the photographers a lot more than I do, especially when there's jobs going on. But just in general, just if you're not happy and something's not going the way you want it to go, or you thought that something was going to be different, communication's critical to a successful partnership between the photographer and the rep. Also, in just the normal corporate world, there are plenty of you know co-founders and business partners 
when they've had more experience with one another or in their lives or whatever, they, they realize that the priorities are changing and they're yeah. not in alignment with one another. That sounds really corporate the way I said that, yeah. but, um, but, there, <laughs> but there's not the synergy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the value proposition but, wasn't quite exactly what we expected. Yeah. But it, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, there's nothing in life that says that you have to be with somebody. I mean, my gosh, people to get divorced right. <laughs> probably know, exactly. more frequently than, than you've lost, uh, yeah. or whatever that, that you've had people, um, you know, leave for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I, anyway, I don't mean to focus on that either. Cause that, uh, but, but it's, it's part of, it's part it's of the relationship. Question. No, it's so. a good question. And, you know, honestly, we make back to the expectation. One last thing is that, um, mm-hmm. we don't make any promises about how big the roster is going to be or how, you know, what we, we know we're always going to be trying to look ahead, uh, in the future of the business and be, you know, as relevant as we can be as agents, which then hopefully gets the photographers more visibility and attention by us being relevant and being out there. Um, but the, the, the really, the main promise we make is that we will never stray from our core brand identity that we've built for the last 10 years, which is the real, you know, focused on lifestyle, on the more, you know, authentic type of lifestyle. And that's, cause that's a promise we make to all of our photographers really. And that's why they're attracted to us in the first place is because of our message, our identity. And if they're drawn to us for that, it would be unfair of us to say, oh, now we're going to, we decided we're going to, you know, start representing illustrators and set designers and hair and makeup and beauty cosmetic photographers. So that's, that's the main promise that we make that we won't, that, you know, when we're talking about expectations. Right. And let's go back to that and, and just ask the question because we haven't said it uh, so explicitly. So unlike maybe any other photographer's agency, you are completely lifestyle-based photography. And why did you choose that? Were you always that way? And how do you think that that provides an advantage to you over other agents You know, when you're approaching, say, an ad agency? Well, we, we were not always that way. It probably was a, a light bulb that went off maybe 10 years ago at this point. And we were just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, we felt like we were just too much like everybody else. We needed some way to differentiate ourselves um, from other reps primarily. It was a hard decision because at the time we were set up as a more traditional agency. We had, you know, the landscape guy and the food photographer and the fashion shooter and, you know, the still life. So we we were, we were set up originally in a more categorical way with the, you know, the pods that a lot of reps um, were doing back then. But we just knew we had to be, we had to do something a little different. And it was hard and it took a long time, it took years and years to, to, to redirect the ship. But before we did it, we actually talked to a couple of our art producer friends and customers back then and said, we were thinking about doing this. We're thinking about shifting and redirecting the whole agency towards, you know, uh, one category, which is lifestyle, which is, you know, one of the broader categories, you know, there's definitely 20 subcategories to lifestyle. So we didn't really think (laughs) think of that so much, but we knew it was, it's a lot, (laughs) I think it would have been harder to succeed as maybe just the, you know, cosmetic, you know, tabletop guys, you know, but anyway, so we didn't, wasn't that premeditated, but we just knew that was the area that we were the best at, that we were the most fluent in, that we enjoyed the most, that we liked the most, um, you know, the location, specifically the location part of it, which almost every project we, you know, bid on and execute is there's a line item for travel. Hmm. I talked to a couple of art producers that I knew well, and I said, what do you think about this? And it was so interesting to look back on it now. 
some of them said, and this is really all I needed to hear. They said, this would be so easy for me. The huh. art buyer, the art producer um, said, I know right when to reach out to you guys. And at the time, we didn't have any other reason that to stand out from you know other amazing, great rep agents that had been maybe in business longer, who had more relationships. The, you know, There was no real, nothing distinctive about us before that, other than that we were you know, good at what we did um, and professional, but branding wise, we didn't have anything that really stuck out. So they said to me, pretty much it would be great for me because you know, I'll know exactly what you guys are all about. But a few of them said, but how are you going to convince your photographers to all be in a group of like-minded or you know, in similar category individuals when they're all used to either no competition with a rep agency or, or minimal. Um, so they said that would be my challenge. And I said, you know what? You answered my question. If it's making it easy for you, the decider, the, you know, the researcher, that's all I need to know. That pretty much answers it. I'll deal with all the ramifications, the competitive side of it afterwards. You know, I want to be, I want a brand and, and you're the person I want to be branded for. In a nutshell, it ended up working out just the opposite for the most part. The photographers bought into that and certainly the ones on the oh, roster. Good. Yeah, they bought into that. And they said, I want to be repped by an agent who shares my vision, who does what I do, who enjoys what I enjoy, who has a similar worldview and view of photography. So it actually headed the opposite effect of what some art buyers thought. It could be a challenge. And, and there's certainly been photographers who've said, I just don't get it. I, I prefer the traditional agency where I'm not, you know, one of a group that's doing similar work. So there's, it's not for everybody. And there's been times where they've, that's been the deal breaker for some, but nine out of 10 times, it's been a positive thing in attracting really great, you know, lifestyle oriented and in the authentic kind of category too, is not a lot of you know CGI work in our group either. So it's it's really niche within a niche within a niche. It it helped us. It it actually helped us uh, grow the business. To be honest, probably the best thing we ever did. Looking back on it, although it was risky, because um, there were there were certain photographers who were busy who we just said who were on the part of the roster at that point who we just could no longer represent. And that took a year or two to transition. Mm. And it definitely took, I mean, five, six, seven years later, there were still, we would still get calls from people saying, you know, do you have a car shooter that can shoot cars in a studio or do you have, you know, can so-and-so shoot fashion? It wasn't easy and it wasn't quick, but it was still probably the best thing we ever did. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I'm, and I'm a marketing person as well. And so I understand that sometimes having a niche specialty helps you stand out. Like you said, if it's helping clients find you and remember you, you know, if they think, oh, we need lifestyle and we just call the Gren Group, then, you know, or if that's who we think of first, because obviously every, yeah, every, right. uh, rep has lifestyle photographers because it's, it, like you said, it seems to be the most, not easiest, but it's, it's an important category in advertising. Yeah. It's definitely the broadest, the broadest category with the most, you know, subgenres. Right. When you are quoting on a job and say there's a triple bid, have you ever had your own photographers, you know, more than one of them that you've been able to offer, you know, as sort of like a, what flavor would you like? You would think and some almost hope that that would happen more often than it does, but it, it's, it's really, really rare. By the time they reach out, by the time a client calls us for a bid, they've done so much 
usually research on their own. They've nailed it, narrowed it down to three people, all qualified, you know, all could produce amazing work. Maybe not all within the budget, but they've pretty much nailed it down to the final three that they've, that they were, are willing to work with. 99% of the times, it's just one from our roster. So it's really rare that they ask to bid two people for the same project on our roster. Hmm. I know this is rare, but I've heard from some ad agencies who prefer not to bid through the same rep and some maybe even have a written policy about it. Again, right. I, I can't confirm that. And it was only one, you know, one art buyer, but I wouldn't be surprised if that, if it was easier for them to bid photographers that with three different agents for whatever reason, you know. No, that makes sense from a due diligence perspective that you seem like you're trying to be open-minded, you know, that you're not just trying to throw in your- yeah. Your, your house photographer to the um, to the client who you use every time the, the, so that you're really thinking yeah. about it and pr- and providing them value as an agency mm-hmm. so yeah I could see that I have a question for you yeah. about the follow-up on on lifestyle to me lifestyle has become much more natural mm-hmm. in the last 10 years it's you know because of words like uh, authentic yep. and storytelling and and all this stuff yeah. and there seems like there's less lighting even from people who used to do a more traditional lifestyle where it was very production heavy. And I see, for example, you know, you have some photographers who seem to have that background as well. Mm -hmm. But then I feel like you have a few people like, I don't know, like I see Lou Bope and David Aaron Troy who have what I would say almost like a photojournalistic approach to lifestyle um, compared with some of the others. And all of them are doing it, doing things well. It's just that but have you found that there is more of an appetite for sort of the more photojournalistic, no-nonsense lifestyle than, than ever? Uh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we've always been focused on that. You know, we've had, s- you know, some of the more photo illustrative photographers before, but I don't think it really resonated with our clients. So for the most part, hasn't worked out. And um, so, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's hard to say whether it's just because that's what we're focused on is the more, you know, the more realistic imagery. Um, that's not a lot of Photoshopping going on, a lot of, not a lot, a lot of post work. Um, so sometimes I don't know if it's just because that's what we specialize in or whether that's a trend industry wide, but I think generally with, you know, Instagram and I don't know, reality TV. I mean, I think the millennials and Generation Z, they're so kind of perpetually scrutinizing everything for realistic stuff. You know, you, I agree. I, you always are seeing, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, to be honest, or Instagram, but what I, the mm-hmm. news that I get is like, you know, they're calling out this person because the this celebrity with all of his or her followers or influence. She's an influencer, but she doesn't look real. Too much Photoshopping, too much airbrushing is the complaints that I think a lot of the younger people, um, they're skeptical. They're so skeptical of advertising and imagery that's thrown at them that I don't think that the realistic, authentic work is ever going to go away. I mean, it might be replaced by other things here and there. You know, I don't see how authenticity could ever be a trend. Well, I do think it's it's more so than ever, though. I mean, I, I think if you looked at lifestyle photography 10 or 15 years ago, it was much more lit. It was much more about beautiful people mm-hmm. and not that there still aren't models being used. Yeah. And there was a trend, I feel like, 15 years ago, too, about real people casting. Yeah. But then I feel like it was a little bit of lip service, maybe, whereas now it seems like 
it's actual photojournalism almost. And, but that's what I want to know too, for, you know, photographers who are listening, because it's not like if you're a photojournalist, you can just get a bunch of ad agency jobs. It's, it's much more difficult than that. And it's partially because you have to have the chops to be able to deal with clients, to be able to reproduce Mm -hmm. images that are in your portfolio like for a, for a professional shoot. Yeah. You can't just, right. so, so, so you have to, and hopefully if you're with an agent, then the agent has chosen a photographer who can reproduce what's in their portfolio. Right. You were talking earlier about how to distinguish the, how we distinguish all of our photographers. Some of the ways that people look at our photographers um, are obvious, you know, like, wow, this, you know, this person's got a, all the imagery looks exactly the same on this photographer's galleries. And so I know that's what I'm going to get. Someone else might be a little different, but there's enough subtle differences too, that people know, or sometimes it comes down to the imagery. Sometimes it's the content, just like this healthcare work is exactly what we're looking for in a, you know, in a hospital setting, or um, this is a gritty urban look to his imagery, or this is, he's, we want something that's got more kids in it or more lighting, you know, different kind of lighting. So I think there's enough subtle differences between all the work that there's not plugging in at one photographer or another. We try to make sure that that's not that case. But David Aaron Troy is very photojournalistic and editorial-ish and does a lot of education work for colleges mm-hmm. and can travel really affordably. He's got like his own van, you know, that he can rig Hmm. up with all of his equipment and an assistant. So that's another way that some, sometimes they get differentiated. Sometimes it can be budget. Sometimes it can be like, uh, you know, some photographers are just their day rates uh, are way too high for certain clients. Some will work with a more limited budget and could be more aggressive because maybe their fees are lower or their expenses are lower. And and David will shoot more organically too and without big crews. So, you know, most of our work is more produced, but there are the Carl Tremblay's and the David Aaron Troy's that are real, you know, real more editorial look and feel to them too. So sometimes we can offer that as a, as an option. If, if, if clients are asking us to make recommendations, you know, like I said, most of the time they come to us, they really have somebody that they've already, you know, either researched on their own or through our website and they kind of have, you know, narrowed it down and not asking us usually for recommends. It does happen. I wish we wish it would happen more, but for the most part, they're doing their own research. You have brought on multiple types of lifestyle photographers. And so if, if there's a spectrum, I would say on one end is photojournalistic and the other end is more produced mm-hmm. and, and possibly with more models yep. and with more production value and more stylus and more lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, even though these days it, the intent is for everything to seem real mm-hmm. and to seem warm and human, there, to me, there's a spectrum of photographers uh, who do lifestyle work and who are on your site and, and, and presumably who you wish to help differentiate mm-hmm. uh, from one another um, so that you can be offering all flavors of lifestyle photography. Right. Do you ever consider that? I mean, when you bring somebody new on, yes. do, you, do you, how much do you consider who's already on your roster? We do, we do, we do consider that, especially if it's, um, you know, from the business side of things, if it's a photographer who one of our photographers has competed with a lot in the last three or four or five years and even lost projects to, 
you know, that's an indicator that, geez, maybe that's not a good idea. You know, we've just lost some jobs to him with our other photographer. So that's just probably one reason why we wouldn't take on a, a certain photographer. Um, other than that, definitely looking to fill categories within lifestyle, like more kid lifestyle sometimes, or more uh, seniors lifestyle. So we're, or, or even stylistically as well, you know, more editorial versus more, more lit and produced lifestyle work. And a lifestyle portraiture as well, um, lifestyle portrait work. I think it helps if it's if it's something that we don't already cover. Right. Like there's also like now we're doing a lot of, believe it or not, automotive lifestyle, which is another, it's more, that's more of like a industry category, not a style of shooting necessarily. But, you know, like you said, the clients are literal. Show me some lifestyle that has, you know, that's for a car company, a client for, you know, a Ford or a Subaru or a Jeep, whatever, but it's more lifestyle, more about the lifestyle and less about the actual pretty car. And that's a category right there, you know, just um, Esther and David, who we just started representing in January or so, a good example of, you know, really someone did a big project for Enterprise Rent-A-Car and then, then we're up being considered for another big car company, one of the Detroit car companies for another big project because of that work, because they were looking for, you know, someone with automotive lifestyle. Another good one is like urban kids, like, which we don't really have right now, but, you know, just kind of that gritty urban, you know, teen category, which you see quite a bit. Another good example of a category of photographer they'll be hired just because the photographer does that work. Yeah. Well, and I think in some cases too, knowing the subject matter, especially with kids or teens or, you know, sometimes there's a slightly fashiony uh, twist to things that not every photographer has that sensibility mm-hmm. or experience of working with, with those type of models or yeah. those temperaments. <laughs> yeah. And you're right though. Subject matter too. That's, that's a big thing too. That can be a deal breaker too. Like you said, the this person shoots horses, but we need someone who shoots cows. Sometimes the the, the decision makers and the audience is looking for just what is the content, and sometimes not even as much as the what the styling is. That can happen too. That can be a, an important factor. Right. Now let's talk about marketing because mm-hmm. that's that's a big part of what you do is is get the word out about the Gren Group and about your photographers. Mm-hmm. How do you publicize your photographers and the Gren Group? You know, that shifts all the time. You know, we'll do, we've done a ton of mailers over the last 10 years, direct mails, but that's fallen off in the last few years, but we'll probably pick it up again. I've been listening myself to some podcasts lately and a lot of art producers are on there uh, saying that they, it's hard for them to get mailers. Some love getting mailers, but they just don't have any way to keep it or hold on to it anymore because of their open floor plans, for example, or they work out of their or they work from home freelancing. Yeah, let me let me add on to that because I, I feel like this has also been a, a thing that's for the last twenty years has been a discussion is is email promo or print promo. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the more established art producers who've been around for a while. Yep maybe tend to want more printed stuff or they appreciate it more. Yeah. But then again, there's also like millennials, for example, like things that are, that they can hold sometimes. Yeah. But from my perspective, you know, because I help photographers with marketing as mm-hmm. well and, and with, with printed and email promos. And I, I feel like, you know, I've heard everything 
I just try to stay on top of this as well. And I, I feel like there are clients who want only printed promos. There's clients who want nothing <laughs> but right, email promos. Right. And there are clients who think that printed promos are indulgent and expensive and they're a waste of yeah. paper and they're bad for the environment. But there are other ones who say, oh, this is so special. I don't get these anymore. Yep. And st- And at the end of the day, if they have something in front of them in print, I, I think there's there's something nice about seeing something if they keep, can keep it on the wall of their cubicle or their conference room, or it seems like it doesn't have to be an either or thing. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of that? There's definitely not a one stop solution. Like a long time ago when emails were popular, I think that was what everybody defaulted to because it was like a penny an email or whatever the number was. I can send out 10,000 emails for two one you know a hundred bucks so it was it, it, it you know everybody was doing it and then it became too much and people stopped paying attention to them so i think it's definitely cyclical a little bit and then direct mail stopped being popular for a while and then we jumped into more direct mail when we knew that there was an opportunity there because it, it could stand out more so it's definitely cyclical a and you know it depends on you know every couple of years it'll change and um B, like you said, there's no one solution for every art buyer. Some love meetings face-to-face. Some don't have time for it. Some love to, like you said, the tangible feeling of a direct mail piece. Some said, don't even send them. They go to the shredder before they even leave the mail room. Right. It's really a hard thing to say. I think the only thing I will say is everything is about as targeted as you can be in general. Like we don't even, we haven't done just, big email blasts to, you know, thousands of people in many years because we know who we want to reach out to. I mean, I know the people that I want to market to so well that I can actually hand write emails to them every two or three months, a newsletter. Mm -hmm. that's really specific to them. So, I mean, it's a, it's a hard work and it's very labor intensive and time consuming, but you should make the effort to know as much as you can about each individual client. You can put them into, into little groups and say, this, this group likes to be marketed this way. This group likes to be marketed that way. But it's really hard to say there's one way for every person and for every artist as well. Some artists, like some of our artists, don't like to meet people in, based in person. They're just not comfortable talking about themselves. Some love hmm. it. Some love traveling and, set, and, and I'll set up appointments for our photographers as much as I can when they're willing to travel and willing to go to meetings, um, all about helping them get appointments. So it's also an individual preference as well on how you like to market yourself and promote yourself. And it changes too. It changes all the time on what's effective. But I don't think targeting and knowing how to communicate to different people is a is ever going to go away. It's going to be more and more important. The more you can target um, your work specifically to the right person, the more effective it's going to be. Like you're almost better off picking 50 people that you know your work is a good fit for, or a hundred, or whatever, and no, and just continuing to send highly targeted, highly personalized promos, emails, whatever, to a smaller group of people on a really consistent basis. I mean, that's one thing reps should be good at is just being persistent without being pushy. And that's one thing that we've always been really good at is just staying out in front of people, keeping the photographers, you know, knowing how important that is on their behalf as well. Um, But you have to be persistent 
I think I had a photographer tell me the a uh, couple of weeks ago that I, that's where I dropped the ball. You know, I'll I'll go to a meeting, I'll see somebody at a portfolio review, and I'll reach out to them twice or three times afterwards, and then that's it. And and they're and admitting that that's just not it takes you know whatever the business school research number is like seven points of contact right. or whatever it is before someone will even remember your name, let alone call you for an estimate. That's the two to five year thing again. Like if you're going to reach out to somebody every three months, how long is it going to take before a new client that you want to work with will even pay attention? So I, I'm a fan of the tar- more targeted, the more personalized, the better. It might take much more time on the upfront finding out, finding those people, but I think you're better off there than just randomly sending out blasts, whether it's emails or promos or direct mail to random people and then seeing what sticks on the wall. I think you're better off doing the homework up front and then targeting and personalizing as much as possible. Right. I mean, I usually tell photographers that at minimum, if, if all they had was time and not money, they should just email people mm-hmm. uh, because it's more, it's more memorable. I still think, I, still, I think the most memorable thing is a, an in-person meeting. Like it's hard to deny somebody who you've actually are, have been face to face with. Yep. And second to that is probably maybe a phone call and, and, and slash an email is a, is a close third place, mm-hmm. a, pers- a personalized email because it just shows, it doesn't feel as salesy. It can be yeah, targeted. Right. It can, it can be from the heart. It, yeah. If somebody solely wanted to do that, I, that would be pretty amazing, but most people don't do it, but right. it's, yeah, I, I think it's, I think the more you can do that, the better. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, this is back to the, back to the relationship. It's a relationship business in industry and mm-hmm. it always has been for us. And the clients we want to work with are the ones who value the relationship, not just that I got a promo today at the right time and I happen to be working. That never happens anyway, that the timing part of it is so rare that you have to be on it all the time. So, you know, a well-targeted, personalized email that's not part of an email blast that, that even calls out some of your clients that you work on, that you, you know, naming out some, I know you work on this campaign because I saw it in... CA or ad week, um, just wanted to introduce you to some of my work and then just keep it on that for every three months or however long is appropriate is the beginning of a relationship because ultimately that's why you're going to get hired. It's because of the relationship that you've developed with somebody over the course of time. I have, I have emails that go back 10 years or more in my email inbox that I save whenever someone responds to me from, you know, when I'm trying to market our photographers. And sometimes I go back and I say, well, we finally got a call from so-and-so at this agency. And I see that I've been in touch with them regularly on per- on a personal email level for seven, eight right. years, six years, whatever it takes. Um, so it's amazing to see, you know, when you backtrack and see that some how something worked. And how effective just personalization can be. But it's really all about relationships. Like you said, face-to-face is it's hard to do because it's depending on where you're living. If you're living in a small town or suburbia or a rural area, it's, it's harder. But you might have to just get out and go to portfolio reviews and meet people face-to-face and get personal feedback as well, too. Right. And do you require that your photographers sort of do the, you know, quarterly or biannual meccas to certain cities, New York and Chicago or LA, Miami, whatever, wherever those, their areas of expertise would be, you know, useful. 
We don't. We, we like it when the photographers also like to do appointments because I think art producers and art directors, creative directors would love to meet when possible with the photographer, with the artist directly. It's more and more difficult, but I, I love when they want to do that, but it's not always feasible um, and they're not always willing. But we do, as a group, we have a cooperative kind of marketing projects that we work on together as a, as a group. And that's another thing we talk about before we represent them. And it's not big funding, but we run banner ads in communication arts that are the Gren Group. Mm-hmm. Um, we run mm-hmm. also banner ads yeah, seen them. Yeah, in archive as well. Sometimes we'll do a, a Gren Group mailer for a long time we did them every three months so consistently for like seven years and all the photographers would share in that cost and they'd all get an image you know in a booklet that we would mail out um and that cost that we would all share the group would share um just to keep keep the awareness out there keep the name out there it's so easy to forget and just stop marketing whether you're the rep or the photographer it's the (laughs) fastest way to be forgotten and to seem irrelevant is to just take a six months off or a year off uh, from promoting and marketing. And we can't do that as reps for sure. We can't, we can't, we never, we don't even stop for a day, let alone weeks or months. So it's kind of the same way for the photographer. You have to just, people have to know that you're out there and that you exist and the kind of work you're doing before they'll even connect the dots to what kind of work to the name, to the kind of work, to the, where you live or whatever. Personalization, I think is the best, most effective way to promote yourself. And, and starting with a easy universe of clients that you want to work with, that you think your work's a good fit for. It could be just geographically too, just they're in my state or my town or on a national level, as long as the, the work is a you know, is a really good fit. People will pay attention if the work's relevant to them. Then they will absolutely pay attention to you faster than if you're sending email blasts out to 90% of the people who would never hire you because it's just not a fit. Right. So, you know, we were talking about marketing and website and everything. How difficult is it to choose images for your website? Because obviously you're only choosing yeah. 20 or 30 images or whatever yeah. from many hundreds of images that photographers have, mm-hmm. have on their own websites and they always have their own galleries yeah. that might be categorized differently. Is it difficult for you to choose the images that are on your website? And do you have any process for that? Yeah, that's super hard to do actually because I think we are cha- we are changing our website like in the next couple of months. It's been the same website for, I, I want to say, three or four years now. Um, and we are going to expand the galleries a little bit. Um, instead of giving each photographer a single gallery, they maybe have three, so they can have some subcategories a little bit. But it's really hard. But we, we usually ask the photographers to send us more than enough, like 100. And we try to edit that down to 60 or 70. Paul is the more visual person here. So she's the, you know, more visually tuned in person. So she and maybe with, you know, me in the background, we'll kind of edit it down. Once they give us the hundred images, we'll try to edit it to the 60 or 70, the most relevant images. Um, We also like it to be the images that most represent their work because we're really kind of hoping that the clients will use our website as a quicker review and then eventually see something, whether it's an image in specific or a 
or a style, and then follow that up and go, we want to make it easy for them to go to the photographer's website so that they can really get a more comprehensive and robust look at the photographer's work. So anyway, that's a little different than some reps. You know, a lot of reps have hundreds and hundreds of photographers' photos on their website. And we've really simplified it, you know, narrowed it down in, in, in hopes that the client will make their way to the photographer site if those images alone are what they're looking for. So it's hard and it's a lot of sort of risk, I guess, because you don't want to overload the people who are researching with too many images, but you want to give them a good sense of what they're going to see when they go to the photographer's site and look at their own work. It's always a challenge to get those 60, 70 best images, but we are actually changing it. I think we're going to expand to a little more photographer subcategories on our site soon. I think it's something that our photographers have asked us for too, so that they can then differentiate themselves a little bit better from not only the other photographers on the roster, but photographers that they're bidding against outside the roster too. And that ties into a question you had asked we in the very beginning about how they you know differentiate themselves from one another in within right. the group within the thir- you know the thirteen or twelve other photographers. But we also, they also know that they're not really, you know, you can't really look at it like I'm competing against the Gren Group photographers. You need to look outside that roster. You know, you're really competing and trying to stand out among, you know, the 10 or 20 or 30 other photographers that are, that are starting out and being considered for whatever project. Most jobs start out, as you know, they might take 10 links and send it to a creative director or a client or the brand or, and then from there, whittle it down to three people. I've heard that sometimes starts out with 20, 20 links to 20 photographers, all that we are considering for this project. Then it goes to 10. We don't get a call until it's three. You know, we like our photographers to don't look at it like you're just competing against this universe of 13 other photographers. We're here. We're all kind of all for one, one for all. We want the attention of art buyers when they're looking for lifestyle, when they have a lifestyle or a portrait campaign, we'd like for them to think of us. But you need to be thinking about a universe much bigger than this when you're trying to you know, stand out and differentiate yourself because ultimately you're going to be, that's what your competition is. It's, much, it's a much broader group of artists than just this. No, that's a very good point. And so do you do uh, printed workbook stuff or, or like the online source books and We're all that? We're huge, like- yeah. That's the one sort of requirement that we have and we're not that strict about it but i think out of our roster photographers i think almost everyone except for one or two advertises in workbook so that's Mm -hmm. a big presence for us and again that's another you know thing that distinguishes reps too some reps like certain to be in certain areas Um, some like us like workbooks some uh would rather take spreads out in you know archive or you know uh, any of the other source books, you know, the found folios or whatever. So each rep's got a little bit of a different presence, but we've always been, you know, I think we're one of the biggest advertisers in workbook as a group. So that gives us a little bit of extra presence for the money. You know, it's not an absolute demand, but it's really hard for us to get much, to get traction for the photographer without them being on board with the things that we are doing that we think have worked well for us in the past. And it's not a fit for everybody, but it's kind of where we think we get the best return on investment at this point. But again, that's, that shifts as well. You know, I know another one, ad, 
at edge too. A lot of, there's a lot of sure. reps that are at edge reps and that's fine. But I think it's good for you to be consistent sort of in like, if you're, if you're bouncing around and not giving it the time to absorb with people, like you can't just go, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put one ad in and just see how it goes. You know, you have to commit to these things for year after year after year to really get your, to hope to get your money back. But that's our, we're, we're, we're workbook oriented um, mm-hmm. direct mail oriented. And I think that you and I first introduced one another through LinkedIn, I think. Right. And that's yeah, my big, did, I love yeah. LinkedIn. I, I'm semi obsessed. LinkedIn is like my millennial version of Instagram. I think just like I am <laughs> obs- semi obsessed with it. Maybe. And again, that'll be something that'll change, but I think I can be, um, I think I can be ahead of the curve on where, people that I want to market to, where they're going, where they're working. Because they're, they're yep. bouncing around for a lot from agency to agency and from agency to, you know, to direct client and in-house. A lot of people going in-house, freelancers. I don't, I think I'm usually months and months ahead by you by using that the, of any of the databases that we also subscribe to that I still like and still use. I'm, I know before most sources where people are going by being on LinkedIn a lot. Um, and it's business to business and that's what we're in. We're in a business to business industry and that's what LinkedIn's about. I know I'm not saying we get tons of work generated from it, but it's a good way to stay in touch with people, find out where they're going. That's how you got research on me, I think, for this, right? Going through our, our LinkedIn profile. Actually, I think you endorsed me for something about photography and blogging and yeah, something right. else. Um, and you said, thanks. Want to be on my podcast? I'm like, sure, let's do this. Next thing you know, and here we are. That's what happens. See, you you, uh, you uh, <laughs> flatter me and then and then suddenly you get roped into this Within 30 hours seconds, long debacle. Just, yeah, let's do yep. a podcast. Sure. <laughs> I'll endorse you. You endorse me. No, no, no. And I, I really appreciate you coming on because no, uh, I love it. it's great. You're, you're my first rep on and, and I, it's, a, no, it was, a, it, it was an important decision for me because I wanted somebody who, you know, I thought had good photographers yeah. and uh, this sounds like I'm wrapping it up, but I'm, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I, I know you probably intermission uh, want to get out, but <laughs> no, I'm, um, good. I'm good. I'm good. There were just maybe two more topics that I wanted to, yeah. to at least touch on, you know, speaking of sort of the long term, and, and if, I feel like you are like any good rep, you seem to be very much about long-term relationships. And I noticed on LinkedIn that since we were just talking about LinkedIn, which I, I too find to be an amazing resource and I, I use for to help my photographer clients look up mm-hmm. where old clients have gone, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, for example, it said that you were responsible for maintaining existing relationships representing 80% of your business. So ah. you're saying that 80% of, yes. of your business is legacy clients or whatever you want to call them? More than 80. But the last time, like another thing that we try to be uh, is also about the business is, is very analytical, which is really hard thing to be in this business because it's an emotional business. You know, you get a lot of letdowns right. and you get to pour your heart and soul into not just the photographer's a lot of the photographers, but the reps too, pour your heart and soul into conference calls and meetings. And you're the, told you're the preferred, you know, creative choice and treatments and hours and hours into projects, especially, you know, the bigger projects, which everybody wants to focus on. It can be emotional and personal business. And then I think you have to be really analytical about it. And that's what we try to be as much as possible, looking at statistics. You know, I have access to most of the photographers, um, 
Google Analytics stats so I can see what kind of things are working, how people are finding photographers, uh, how long they're staying on a certain imagery, um, what sources are pushing them into their site. So in, in the big picture, you try to be as use as much data and analytics as possible when I'm talking to uh, photographers about things that work and things that don't right. work. We need to acknowledge the uh, the puppy in the house. Yes. Uh, it sounds like Paula Paul is being mauled gotcha. right now. What's your dog's name? Uh, Melvin. Hey, Melvin. All right. So, but you're saying something important though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was leading into something important. I'll go into a, a quieter space here. So my point about being analytical and as, as, as much as possible and data driven was that, yeah, you're right about the 80%. It's like actually 85%, wow. which the last time we checked on it, which was, I think, eight, nine, 2017, 85% of all the jobs that we confirmed for that year came through existing relationships. And that could mean that an ad agency, our producer that we knew or that Paula knew might have called us for a different photographer in a different project but still tracing that back to an existing relationship. It could have been that the photographer worked with someone three or four years ago before we represented them, but they're coming back. Mm-hmm. That would be have obviously have been a, an existing relationship. So it's a huge, huge part of the business and really just goes to show you too that, you know, you really have to take care of your clients. You have to value them as, as much as, possible but also how hard it is to get the new get new clients yep and again back to photographers wanting to know about getting a rep and what you know what do i what would i expect and what do i need to bring if it if so much of the business is existing work and it's so difficult to get new clients that's another reason why the reps can say you have to bring some existing paying clients to the partnership because it's going to take so long to get new work. Cause it, here's the t- statistics that show how, how hard it is and how long it takes and how much it costs. You can't even put a dollar number on, you know, I know in um, business school or businesses, they talk about the customer acquisition cost, you know, right. We did all these email campaigns. If you're a, you know, I don't know, a clothing company and here's all we invested and we got two new clients. So our customer acquisition cost was like $70 a customer. Right. You walk shark tank at all, but they probably talk about that on, I sound like I'm on shark tank. On the pitch. They talk about that. That's a a good Gimlet media podcast. That's basically like an NPRized version of uh, shark tank, but they always talk about that in terms of, yeah, venture capitalists want to know what, yeah, how much it costs to find for, for them to find new customers. Right. Yeah, so you know, if I was ever on Shark Tank and they said, "Yeah, what's your customer acquisition cost?" That's about two thousand nine hundred dollars for every customer. <laughs> They'd be like, "Okay, hit the door, pal. You're right. fired," or whatever they say. I mean, there's certainly an adage that it's it's important to maintain good relationships with existing clients because it's harder to find new ones. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know, like if you're in it for the long haul and you want job satisfaction, you know, from my perspective, I, I think it's more satisfying to be able to, to know somebody for a long time and, and to feel like you have a relationship with that person mm-hmm. and, and and vice versa. So in addition to massaging your existing client relationships, I also think that an individual photographer, if they had three or four solid clients that they work for a lot, to me, that would be much more valuable and more more mm-hmm. certain and more reliable than having 20 different clients that come and go every year. And because I feel like if you have a couple good clients, they can really 
make or break your your year for revenue as a photographer? Some of our photographers have just one or two clients or three clients, a handful of clients yep. that they work with repeatedly throughout the year. And that's, you know, I mean, we're always trying to get new work and new customers, but some of them have a handful of repeat, great, loyal clients. And that obviously help, you know, that leads to our high percentage of ex existing relationship business. And we also, the relationship's probably more important for us because we do focus on some of the bigger budget jobs, the photographers we have, and the fact that, you know, there's, it's a lot of travel involved and a lot of location and scouting and catering. Like every, most of the jobs are pretty big, complicated jobs with larger budgets and mm -hmm. more risk for the clients. You know, we do get smaller project requests sometimes, but sometimes we just, for whatever reason, we can't meet the budget. So a relationship and the trust level that comes with those relationships is even more important. The bigger the client, the bigger the project, and the more risk that they have at stake, you know, with those kind of clients. So, so relationships become even more important and that repeat business becomes even more important when you're, you know, working, you know, on larger scale, more. When the stakes are higher. Yeah, the stakes are higher. Yep, Exactly. But I don't. I don't know if eighty-five is standard. But that's that's the way it is with us. It's probably not. I would think because I, I think it's you know like social shooting social media projects, campaigns, and lower budget campaigns where it might matter where the photographer lives. You know, we can't only afford a photographer that's in you know Nashville or Colorado or whatever. Then then you know relationship might not be as integral to the decision-making process at that point. Mm -hmm. And probably the longer you've been in business too, you know, since we've been in for 20 years or so, that number probably increases as you've, as you've been in business longer. I'm sure it wasn't 85% when we first started out. <laughs> no, it's, it sounds very respectable. I'm going to switch gears a little bit to talk about a little bit about budgets. It, just from your gut, from what you and, and Paula go through, you know, with estimating and on jobs and stuff. Would you say that photo budgets are up or down this year versus the last year or the yeah, last five years? I think budgets are, are steady, maybe going up a little bit. I don't think the overall budgets for creating content are declining. I think if anything, they're either stable or going up. I think the demand for content is as high as it's ever been is and higher than it's ever been because images, the shelf life, um, is shorter now because it's not in print magazines. It's online and it gets way more exposure. Great point. To, um, clients and viewers and whether it's catalog online or whatever. Um, so I think the demand is, is, is really high and growing all the time. But what I think has happened is the, they're trying to squeeze more projects and more images out of the same budget, um, that they've had. So mm -hmm. maybe more shoots, um, with lower fees, you know, maybe they're negotiating. We're going to do this three times this year, but instead of last year, we did it twice, but we want to do it three times, but we don't have. So having to be creative and figuring out a way to get it done and getting, uh, getting more content from the same budget has been, is definitely a challenge that we see. But I, I think overall people are spending money on good imagery and good branding and libraries, you know, Paula says that um, so much of it is library, purchasing libraries of images now, like all the, all mm -hmm. the images, all the images. 
and you know pretty much negotiating for you know long term usage uh, as opposed to every re- year by year and renewing it every year, which used to be the case. You know, I think there's less income for the photographers these days on you know licensing every year or two, licensing their images that they might have shot for a, an ad agency or a client. But overall, I'm op- I'm optimistic about the demand for content for sure. Just people have to get creative on producing on the production side of things and um, how to give customers more content for a similar amount of money. Um, that's going to be that's a challenge that people are going to have to figure out. Yeah, and I would add that that's probably where the chief executive optimist, like the two of you, have to come into play too. That you. You know, I feel like there are photographers who are established, who are used to the old licensing rules. For example, ASMP has always espoused, and for good reason. But I, I do think that because of a lot of uh, market changes, that yeah, that it's sort of a different business climate. And 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 also, I think that any business, not just photography, goes through incredible sea changes every. 10 years, mm-hmm. sometimes more frequently if you're talking about tech companies. Yeah. And so the, and, and also those tech companies are the ones who are hiring you sometimes as a photographer. Right, right. So I think that in a way, you sort of have to figure out how to make money from from the existing model. And that the, the, it feels like, you know, I've been in the photography industry about 20 years, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And it, it always seems like there's there's some change that that people are resistant to as photographers, for example, are resistant to or think that is the end yeah, of, of photography. Right. But but you know what? There's still billions of dollars being spent on imagery yeah. and somebody is making it. And it's not, I'm not saying that it's ideal. I'm not saying that, you know, if you're used to, you know, PDN has probably profiled this, but I don't know what the average, let's say average working repped ad agency photographer, if they're if their revenue is actually up, down, mm-hmm. or about the same as it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you yeah, if you were to guess that, what do you think it would be? Um, let's see. And you're talking about the top photographers, maybe? No. Oh no, no. I, I'm talking about just the the sort of the median good repped photographer who does solid agency work. Do you think that they're making more, or less, or about the same as you know, ten years or twenty years ago? I would have to say less. I would have to say yeah. less. Um, That's my guess too. I think there's a, there's a, there's, like you said, there's going to be shifts all the time. You know, everybody freaked out when digital came along and everybody had exactly. to trans, transition to digital. Oh my God, everybody's got a digital camera. Everybody's going to be a professional photographer. And I mean, that never really worried me because, you know, that's, that's still a skill that not everybody right. possesses. I have a digital camera. I can't take a picture to save my life. Yeah. And I, I feel that any of my clients who were heavily into the really, where they were very strict about sort of enforcing the old licensing models, mm-hmm. even even the most entrenched old school licensor, and I'm I'm not saying that as a bad thing either. It, it I mean I understand why, and it's it was a historic way of yeah. making more money on every job, and it's you yeah. know, but it's you know it's just it's just it's a factor of business that uh, sometimes clients can push back, and sometimes markets change because suddenly you know, magazines are are much less relevant because of the internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many things. And also because like you're saying, clients now need to do campaigns that spread across not only print and television and radio, but now social media yeah. and YouTube videos. And there are more places for people to discover brands. Right. 
there's always a push and a pull though, obviously from the people who are negotiating with these clients. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if every photographer said, I will never do an image library, I'm not going to do an all inclusive thing like that because historically I've made more or whatever Then the clients would have to decide, but no one's ever going to do that. Right. Everybody at some point has a price that they can be bought for. Yeah, exactly. This is sounding really cynical. It's not, it's not my intent. My, my intention really, cause it, cause I mentioned, you know, for the chief, chief optimist in yeah, you yeah. that, cause I, I feel like I'm an optimist as well. And if you're going to be in the business, you have to figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't mean that you're right or somebody's wrong. You have to figure out how to make it work. Yeah. And make it satisfying too, because I think it's also, nobody wants to be adversarial with their clients. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most photographers just want to make good work and interesting work and have good relationships. And even if they're very interested in and adept at licensing and negotiating themselves, yeah. it's not what they're in it for. Right. Do you think there are more photographers in the business now than there were 10 years ago as well? Do you, do you think that's uh, something pressuring like the the fees and the costs? And I think there probably are more photographers, but... I'm guessing there's probably more people who come in and out of the industry as well because it's so easy. The the, the technical barriers are, are right, fewer, right? And and so are the because of technology. You know, like you can find out who the gatekeepers are more easily yeah. by rent by you know by using these mailing lists and by using LinkedIn and by you know just reaching out and on yep. Instagrams. But I think that the photographers who are in it for it for the long haul. There are probably, I don't know. I think I've read that there are more photographers out there than ever. But I also think there's a lot of people who call themselves photographers, but aren't really making the revenue. They haven't fully committed to it or or haven't been making revenue from it consistently. And they're trying to be, you know, do workshops or something like that. And they're they're doing travel photography and, 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 you know, all power to them to do that, you know, as a hobby or a second job or a right, right, right. But, I, you know, we touched on something else, which was, you know, we, we're talking about how budgets now need to be spread across more media. Mm-hmm. You know, social media is a big part of that. How often do your photographers do campaigns, say, for Instagram or that involve Instagram usage or that are so, or only for Instagram, for example, mm-hmm. or YouTube or whatever? Um, very rarely, very rarely. I I don't think anybody for only Instagram, I think there are certain photographers out there that are Instagram photographers. And I know they're even, I think they're even, they're even Instagram reps. As far as I recall, there are Instagram reps. So we're definitely not positioned as the people to call. If you have, you know, you want an Instagram or even necessarily a, you know, a purely social media um, shooter. I mean, some of our photographers will do smaller social media campaigns more, more than likely. Paula lets them take those in house because Paula can't really add much value to those, um, negotiations. Uh-huh. It's like, we got $1,500 or 2000 and we're like, no, it's not worth it for either side oh, to so get involved. So, so you- when, when you say in-house, um, just for our listeners, you mean, so you won't take a exactly. percentage, but you also, you also don't help to negotiate. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that happens, that happens, or yeah, that's it. happening more and more too, you know, as the, you know, as hmm. the photographers, as the for opportunities for them to shoot bigger ad campaigns where we really add value as they become, you know, harder and harder for us to get, you know, there are more occasions where we're telling the photographer, you know, if we get involved, it's probably going to be cost prohibitive for you and maybe even the client 
and we don't really add anything. There's kind of firm budgets for the most part. You can get a little bit, you know, more out of it. But yeah, we do let the photographers sometimes take those in-house because when we usually when we sign a photographer for the first time, there's not a lot of not a lot of leverage in, in them keeping house accounts. You know, some lower budget, smaller clients are fine. Editorial is fine. So we yeah we've started letting them manage some of that social media work themselves because it's just, it just doesn't seem to make sense for Paula to get involved bidding and estimating when we know they're not going to have the budget for it. But the photographer still might want to do the project. And if it's convenient for them and the work is interesting, they will do that. So it does happen sometimes. But a lot of the work that we do does end up on social media, though. That was my next question. Yeah. It was not originally just for social media, but a lot of it's for, you know, billboards and some of it's even for, you know, web videos. So uh, it's a lot of the way it ends up on social media, but not a lot of it is is just for social. Right. Um, the last topic that I want to cover is because though this is a podcast about the business of photography, now in the last 10 years, easily photography, or maybe not easily, but <laughs> in the recent past, Emotion work is now sort of expected more, I'd say, of of traditional still photographers. And I'm we should distinguish between motion work and then directing, because I know that you have directors, which we haven't discussed. Mm -hmm. All of the directors on your site are also still photographers for you. Right. Yeah. So how important is it for you that your photographers have motion in their portfolio? How desirable is it when they're approaching you too, when, when new photographers who right. aren't on your roster, for them to, to have motion work? And I don't necessarily mean that they didn't necessarily have to be directors, even though that's mm -hmm. the traditional route for spots. Yeah. But I feel like now there's sort of motion work that's, you know, doing cinemagraphs. Yeah. I saw that Bill Miles has some still images that were sort of made 3D mm -hmm. with some animation for Lay's Potato Chips yep. ad. Yep. Bill's done some yeah, TV work, some even some broadcast work too as a director. There's a few on the roster that have done standalone videos without any still component. Not not many, but there's been some. So it's kind of could trend there. But um, new photographers, for us, it's it's really important that they have some kind of experience and, and are fairly well versed in the video side of things and the motion side of things. Just because it's not, it's only getting to be a bigger part of the ask. And to not show any of it gets a little complicated because it's not the first thing that clients ask for. They almost ask for it at the end and assume that everybody can do it. Oh, by the way, we also need, you know, to do a couple of, get a couple of spots out of this for the web. And so they almost assume that everybody can do it at this point. So it is, it is really important for new artists who are, who we're talking to that they have some experience and have getting paid to do some of it too. Yeah. And when you say some experience, you're not necessarily saying that they have to have directing experience, right. but the, maybe that they've at least shot something as a cinematographer or right. that they've done projects. Yeah, that they've done projects that someone's hired them and included motion as part of the what they provided to the client, that they used it, that they bought, you know, basically whether it was thrown in or not, or part of the initial, initial estimating bidding process. And do... Cinemagraphs play into any of that? Do animated gifts for the web, for example, play into any of the usage or, or the expectation from clients or from you that, that you want that from your photographers? No, not really. In the few times that we've been asked for it, it's kind of just been an assumption that it can be done, that it's really more of a process 
and right. not necessarily anything that needs to be. I, I know it's. I know it can get can be some costs associated with it, but it's kind of not anything that's that we've experienced being part of a bid spec sheet. Right. And do you see any trends for photographers to stay abreast of in terms of licensing or new mediums or new technologies that you're being asked to do that, that we haven't touched on? Um, you know what? I know there's one thing that's we have been dealing with for the last, for a, a while now, but it kind of has happened a lot, even in the last couple of weeks, that something that we're trying to get our hands uh, around because it's still a little bit of the wild, wild west when it comes to providing the video assets to a client. And it's based really on, on usage. Mm-hmm. When we're working with a client who's got experience in broadcast and they don't, the usage is not part of their language. Um, but now all of a sudden they're doing a print campaign and they want to add video to it. And now all of a sudden there's a uh, usage comes up on video. I don't think anybody is quite sure where that's going to end up yet. And I know Paula even talked to a bunch of art producers and reps recently to find out if there's really kind of any any logic. You know, one of our best art buying relationships said there's really no rhyme or reason to it yet. And, you know, sometimes we pay and sometimes we don't. Depends on the appetite that the client has for it and the budget and everything else. So that's something to keep keep an eye on is the usage when it comes to you know, video assets, which, and we know that usage has even become an issue when it comes to the print assets too. Like people are sort of wanting it rolled in now up front so they don't have to worry about things expiring and going through the legal department because they're using something outside of the terms of the agreement, um, which is just to manage that information can cost money and resources. So, so usage all around is changing. Uh, there are no set rules yet on usage. There is in broadcast where it's just like they own it forever. It's there's no nothing expires on you know on the broadcast side of things. So right, and and like well, I come from a filmmaking background as well, and uh, yeah, as I understand it, people in broadcast and film they just work for hire. That it's a work for hire contract, yeah. and so they're not they're not used to owning their their intellectual property, mm-hmm. and there is. I guess no copyright law to back it up either. So either way, I mean, if you were to give somebody advice, it sounds like you'd say, well, still ask for it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. See what you can do. And it's really based on the client expectations. Just like just like almost anything in these days, it's all based on right. budgets. They have a starting budget. Maybe they can you know, get a little bit more from the client or squeeze a little bit more out of another budget here or there. But everything starts with a budget and you got to see what you can, you know, how much you... Client wants to squeeze as much, as many assets out of every budget that they can. And the photographer, you know, of course, is going to try to get as much fee as they can. So it's really a a negotiation and you just need to communicate with the client, rep, photographer to try to figure out if you can come to some common ground, which you can't always. Definitely we lose our share of jobs because we're not willing to you know, be the low cost provider, but a lot of times we work it out and everybody's, everybody's happy. So it's good to be transparent too, as much as possible through all aspects of the business, you know, with our photographers, like, you know, if, if any photographer would be going back to what we talked about earlier on those rare cases where two photographers are up for the same job for whatever reason, everybody knows it. 
there's no secrets. Like, you know, they, everybody knows even, you know, there's no, no sense in not being transparent about everything. What clients have for a budget, is there flexibility there? Are we really the creative choice or is there an incumbent photographer that we're bidding against? So we know what right. our expectations are. I don't know why, how I got on that tangent, but. No, no, no. That, that's great. That's a great point. And I, I, I think I have everything here. And also I've held you for, for very long. So I really appreciate the time that you took to talk with me and to, you know, to, to further educate my audience and me, you mm-hmm. know, cause every, every conversation I learned something, even though I, I feel like I know a lot about things too, but I, okay. What did you learn? But, what was the biggest thing you learned today? <laughs> uh, what's your dog's name again? <laughs> Melvin. Um, <laughs> You're like, who's running this podcast, by the way? No. <laughs> You're not, you can't answer, ask me questions. I, no, actually, I think that one thing that I did learn, I mean, I learned a, a lot of things, but I think one thing that you've impressed upon me or, or is a good reminder for anybody in business and for photographers in particular is the idea of being in, in being in it for the long haul and for trying to have long lasting client relationships and trying to keep in touch with people and trying to maintain those relationships, not just, and not just totally for money either, even though that is part of it. But I, I, I do think that, that there's a satisfaction in, in, in working for people multiple times. Although I'm sure there's also some photographers who like the variety and the challenge. Well, now you can be challenged by by old clients yeah. too. But I mean, I, I'm sure there are some clients or sorry, I think I'm sure there are some photographers who also want to work for a different ad agency and brand every time because they want to mix things up because they're yeah. pedal to the metal, yeah. you know, at that point in their career. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's honestly, even we've been, like I said, doing this for 20 years and I've worked with a lot of great brands, great photographers, great ad agencies. And even still, when we get a new client for whatever photographer, it's a big deal for us still. Even to this day, it still gets our adrenaline going whenever there's, whenever, and we appreciate so much the interest and the trust that clients afford us in wanting to work with us and any of our photographers. That's great. And Mark, I want to thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to learn a little more about what you do for the Gren Group, who the Gren Group is, who the photographers are. You're welcome, Neil. And your specialty, so of lifestyle mm-hmm. only, only in quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Neil. Good luck with the podcast. I'll be sure to thank you. listen to them all and follow you. your podcast. And Right. And hopefully you'll get lots of emails from from yeah. uh, photographers who want to join Looking the, for some uh, advice. the agency. Yeah. Wait, right. he said he, re- he said he um, responds to every email. Let's see. Let's just <laughs> test them out right now. Exactly. All right. Well, dear listener, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. In future episodes, I'll be interviewing creatives from the branding and fine art worlds. Please look at the show notes for this episode in your podcast player or at photopodpod.com, two pods, where you'll also see past episodes with ad agency and magazine creatives. Please spread the word if you like today's episode and subscribe to hear each new interview. I think it's relevant to share Photopod with your friends, colleagues, and clients. I'd love for this to be heard. 
Plus, I think it's relevant for creatives on all sides of the photography equation. Drop me an email if you ever have questions you'd like me to ask future guests, or if you have ideas for new types of guests. On a sad note, two weeks after recording this interview, I learned of the passing of Grand Group photographer Jonathan Chapman, who I knew back when he was a wonderful machine photographer as well. I admired his work and work ethic. PDN mentioned his passing in this year's photo annual, which Jonathan won this year. They also wrote a longer piece online, and I've provided a link to this in the show notes. After finding out this news, I emailed Mark Weiner, asking if he thought it appropriate to mention Jonathan's passing on this podcast. He did, adding that I should provide a link to support the National Alliance on Mental Health, which is what his family said was for people wondering how to help in situations like this. That's also in the show notes. I asked Mark if he had anything that he'd like to add about Jonathan. He said, quote, Yes, losing Jonathan was completely devastating. We had repped him for 10 years and so knew him very well. He was also a great human being. Paula and I flew to his service in Minneapolis in June and learned even more about his generosity and iconic status in the Minneapolis photography and advertising community. Although a difficult trip, it was nice to experience the love and support that this tight-knit community had for Jonathan. End quote. Thanks again to Mark for his words here and also in the interview. Hope everyone takes care. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.